Would you turn your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 to verse 20 is what we're going to focus on this morning. And so um, last week, even though we were at the Fondren campus, we continued a series we started a couple of weeks ago titled Sent, which is a follow-up to um, the story of resurrection. We celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Christ, three Sundays ago, and it was a glorious resurrection Sunday. It was a great celebration of God's faithfulness in all of our lives. Um, we recognize the reality that the resurrection is the basis of our faith. In fact, the scriptures tell us that without the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that we have no faith. Um, this, is, this is what distinguishes or separates Christ from every other religious uh, figure that has ever crossed the face of the earth. And the reason it's, he, he's separated from every other entity is because no, one, no other entity can claim to be God. No other entity can claim to have defeated death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. Only Jesus did. And because Jesus did, we have life. We have the promise of eternal life. And, and the, the, the awesome thing about resurrection is that it's not meant to be something we celebrate on one day out of a year. It's meant to be something we celebrate every single day of our lives. Every single day as we walk with the Lord, as we are growing in relationship with the Lord, we are called to celebrate the good news of resurrection. And we have been talking about three ways that the, the goodness of the resurrection impacts all of us. Every single one of us that knows the Lord. The resurrection impacts us in three ways. Number one, it impacts us in a personal way. Uh, when we talk about the personal impact that the resurrection has on us, we're talking about the experience that each one of us has of a personal encounter with the Lord. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except they come through me. And so in other words, the way we all, no matter who we are, where we are from, what our background is, our story is, our skin color is, our socioeconomic status is, no matter the list of successes or even the failures we can say we've, we have ascribed to us, every one of us, if we are to come to the Father, must come through one way. There's no other option except the option that is given to man by which we must be saved. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, not some other entity or figure, not even of ourselves, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Lord over what? Lord over our lives. Lord over sin. Lord over death. Lord over everything that represents the opposite of what God stands for. And indeed, everything that represents what God does stand for. So when we talk about the goodness of resurrection, we're talking first about the personal impact that it must have on every one of us. Every one of us must have a personal encounter with him. And not just the one time in our story encounter, but a daily encounter where we are being renewed, where we, where we, are, we are being transformed uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. But not only is the gospel meant to have a personal impact on our lives, but it's meant to have a communal impact. In other words, not only is God working on us individually, but God is also working on us corporately as a group. When you and I became believers, we became children of God. Notice it didn't say child of God, it says children of God is what John 1, 12 says. And so it gives this, paints this picture that we are part of a family, that we're part of a community. When we come to faith in Christ, we are grafted into a spiritual um, group, a spiritual community, and we are called to collectively pursue Christ. And in collectively being called to pursue Christ, we're called to encourage each other. We're called to support each other. We're called to pray for each other. We're called to, to speak to each other, to speak into, in, into each other's lives. And when we see a brother or sister strain, that we don't come at them in judgment, but we, come at, we, we, we engage them with truth to encourage them to choose the way that brings life. We don't do it in a judgmental way. We don't do it to suggest that we, we have it figured out or that we're better than them. We come alongside them to encourage, 
to build up. And that's what the scripture invites us to. But today I want to focus on this last aspect of the, of the gospel's impact on our lives. And this is on the missional, um, focus, the missional um, assignment that Christ has given us. And, and in, in, in focusing on, on the mission of the church, we're talking about the, 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 the mandate that Christ has given us as the body of Christ. Last week, remember I told you that, that the, 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 the point of, of each of us having a personal encounter with the Lord is so that God might graft us into a, a spiritual community. But the reason God grafts us into a spiritual community is so that together we might continue the work that Christ started and ultimately fulfill that work. When is that work complete? When He returns. When He returns. So while we are still alive, while we're still walking on the earth, while we are still walking with the Lord, we have a job to do. Not just as individuals, but also as a corporate body. Why? Because it is the assignment that Christ has given us. And I want to share with you a quote that I came across that I thought speaks powerfully to this issue of this mission that Christ has called every one of us into. Um, John MacArthur is a, is a popular, known, well-known preacher today. And, and he, he wrote about uh, the church and he was describing the body of Christ and and, and explaining the mission that Christ has given us as the body. And this is what he says. And it's, it's an extensive quote, but I, I think it's important for you to hear the full context of what he's describing. He says, he writes, and I quote, Though it is largely a subjective proof, the endurance of the church of Jesus Christ through over 2,000 years is evidence of his resurrection reality. The church, the endurance of the church, not that it's a movement that that came and then it faded or it passed away or it moved on to something else. The endurance of the church is evidence of his resurrection reality. He goes on to write, his church and his word have survived skepticism, persecution, heresy, unfaithfulness, and disobedience. Critics have denounced the resurrection as a hoax and a fabrication, but have never explained the power of such a fabrication that it would produce men and women who give up everything, including their freedom and their lives, when necessary to follow, a, to follow a dead Lord. In other words, what he's saying is that if Christ is indeed still dead, then you cannot explain the church as it is today and the endurance of the church through the centuries. The church is proof that Jesus is alive. And he goes on to write, his living church is evidence that he himself is alive and he could be alive only if he had been raised from the dead. What is John saying? He, in other words, he's saying that you, look at him and say, neighbor, you are proof of the resurrection of Jesus. Every single one of us as individuals called to follow Christ, but also as a collective part of the family of God, we are proof. That the resurrection is real. And how? Because of the transformation that is taking place in our lives. Now, does it mean that God is finished with us? No. We are a work in progress. He continues to work in us as we submit ourselves to Him, as we yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership and direction. But we are proof. We are evidence. We are a demonstration of the power and of the truth of this gospel. And in the scripture we're about to read this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to see the Apostle Paul make this point. In emphasizing to you and I as believers that we are called to represent or demonstrate or display how being reconciled to God has changed our own lives. And in, in, in demonstrating to a watching world how being reconciled to God or being brought into union with Christ has changed us, what it does is it attracts them to the same. 
The goal is that when, when the world looks at us, that they don't look at us and say, oh, that's nice. But that they're convicted in their hearts. Why are they the way they are? Why do they live the way they live? Why, are they, why, do, they, why do they hold to these values? Why, why when they're going through crisis, are they still filled with joy and peace? And that they're drawn to Jesus because of what they see him doing in our lives. So let's read together this morning our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to verse 20. And if you don't have your Bible with you, we have the, uh, the text on the screen behind me. So as, as I read, you can please follow along. Um, on the screen are, are, is, is the, is the uh, reading from the New International Version translation. But I'm going to be reading this morning in my, in my personal Bible from um, the New Living Translation. It's this, the, same, the same text, the same context. Um, just a few words here and there. So don't get confused as you're reading, as, I'm, as, as you're listening, as I read. Verse 11, Paul says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, he says we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Verse 12, Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us, so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. And since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And so we have stopped evaluating ourselves from a human point of view. At one point we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, everybody say us. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God, with, to, we, we could be made right, excuse me, with God through Christ. So again, you see the Apostle Paul so um, geniusly paint this picture for you and I of the mandate, the mission that Christ has given us. He says to us that because of the experience that you and I have by way of a personal encounter with the Lord and because we've been grafted into God's family, that we all share a collective mission of what? Of testifying to a watching world that God has made um, every uh, provision available, possible to reconcile us with himself. And, and we are telling the world that when you look at my life, when you, when you look at the transformation that has taken place in my life, that you can see the power of of that re reconciliation and now also embrace the same as well. So this morning, what I want to quickly do is share with you three ways that, that the scriptures teach us that you and I are to profess this uh, message of reconciliation that Christ has called us to. Number one, 
we share this message of reconciliation first by sharing our story of saving grace. Again, notice in verse 11, Paul says that we know what it is to fear the Lord. This is in the new, in the, in the NIV translation, in the, in the NLT, it says, we understand a fearful, our fearful responsibility to the Lord. And because we understand this responsibility, we work hard to persuade others. What is Paul suggesting here? What, is, what Paul is suggesting is this, that number one, you and I can't offer what we don't have. Number one, what we do not have, we have no right to offer to the world. To the world. What, we, what we have not experienced, we have no right to call others to experience or to mandate that others experience. In other words, it's not enough for us to simply talk about, about living right, about serving God, about living faithfully before Him if we ourselves are not committed to the same. So there's, there's, there must be an understanding on our part that because we've had this encounter with the Lord, this relationship with the Lord, uh, this daily nurturing with Him, as we're walking with him, that as our lives are being transformed is that it propels us and it gives us the platform and it gives us the opportunity and the mandate to now do the same with others. And how we persuade others is simply by telling them what Christ has done in our lives. You can't go and tell somebody else my testimony and be able to speak to them in a way that is convincing or a way that is impactful. Why? Because it is not your testimony. You have a testimony. You have a story of how God has impacted your life, how God has changed your life. You knew who you were. You knew how you lived before you came to faith in Jesus. And you know the difference that Christ has made in your life. And that's what the scripture tells us to do. That we are to testify to our own personal experience of God's saving grace. And that in doing so, that we are embracing that opportunity to be witnesses, to be uh, partners with God in bringing to a watching world this message of reconciliation. In, Second Corinthians, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 22, we are told the story of a woman who Jesus encountered. The Bible says that uh, the Samaritan lady came to a well to draw water. And Jesus happened to be sitting at the well at the time she showed up and began to engage in conversation after he asked her for water. And of course, she identified that he was Jewish and wondered why he would be, as a Jew, asking her, a Samaritan, for water. There were not necessarily two groups that tended to interact. And that opened up a conversation that ultimately led to this lady uh, recognizing that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man, more than just an ordinary figure passing by, but that he was truly the Messiah. And the scripture says that on the heels of her encounter with the Lord, this woman did a very interesting thing. She went back to her village. And she began to tell people, you need to come with me and meet this man who I have just had an encounter with. And, 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 and the impetus for her conviction to invite others was first her what? Her personal encounter. Jesus so amazed her. He so floored her with his knowledge of, of her background and her struggle and her greater need that she felt like, I cannot keep this to myself. And there was this obligation to tell others about it. And look what she says in verse, 20, verse 29. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And, and, and imagine how many people she brought to the Lord who got a chance to encounter Christ and, and, and were, whose lives were impacted forever because they had an encounter with Christ. But it all was predicated on a woman's willingness to share her story of God's saving grace. You have a story to share. You have a story that your neighbors need to hear, your co-workers need to hear, your friends need to hear, your family need to hear. 
And it is not enough for somebody else to share your story on your behalf. No, you need to share your story. And, and recognize that, that God has given you a platform because He's made you His child, His son, His daughter, to testify to His saving grace. It is like Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. What is he saying? He's saying that the power of God to save that is inherent in this gospel, I know to be real because it has changed me. And because it has changed me, I feel a sense of deep conviction to tell others. Or that I wish that you and I would have the same conviction as Paul did, where we are so concerned about others, that we're not willing to keep our stories to ourselves. That we're willing to say, listen, this is what Jesus has done in my life, and He can do the same in yours. Sometimes we feel like we don't have a, a compelling enough testimony to share. Here's the thing. All your job and my job is to do is to tell. It is the Holy Spirit's job to take what we tell and to use it to convict, where, however He wants to use it to convict people's hearts. Many times I'll, I'll, I'll get an opportunity to, to share my testimony or to, or to even preach and, and sometimes I walk away feeling like, Lord, I wish I could have, I, I feel like I could have done better. I feel like I could have said more. And then when you have people coming up to you and saying, man, that, your testimony convicted me. And you, I, I resonate with what you said. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's certainly not me. That was God. Because he knows how to take our faithful testi testimony of what he has done and, he, and to use it to convict hearts. So it's not about us trying to persuade people or convince people to embrace, embrace, embrace the truth that we've embraced. No, it's about saying, this is what God has done in my life and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through our story to convict others as well. How we are able to um, demonstrate our, 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 this message of reconciliation, Paul says, is by sharing our story of saving grace. Not only that, number two, we persuade, but we pursue, excuse me, a lifestyle of holiness. In verse 15, Paul says that Christ died for all. Why? So that those who live no longer live for themselves, but now they live for Him. So again, it's reminding us that when Christ died, He didn't just simply die so that you and I can go to heaven. He died so that you and I can also experience His life here and now. That we, we become more like Him, that we, he, he changes us so that we begin to reflect who He is. And, and that when, they, the world, when the world sees us, that they see Him in us. But how can the world see Him in us if we're not living for Him? How can the world see who Christ is or understand what He stands for when they don't see it demonstrated in our lives? Again, I remind you, the Bible says that it was the church in Antioch that were first tagged with the word Christian. Why? Because they were seen as people who lived the teachings of Christ. When unbelievers look at us, what do they think? What do they say? Can they say that we are followers of Christ because of how we live, because of how we treat others, and because of the things that we do? Again, Paul says that Christ died so that we no longer live for ourselves. In other words, we, don't, we no longer live by our own dictates or do what we think is right or live to please ourselves or to satisfy our desires and our appetites. But now we live for Him. Everything we do is motivated by desire to please Him, to be consistent with what He, what he stands for, who He is. And, and, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, the apostle uh, makes a very, very interesting um, statement. And I think even though he's speaking specifically in the context of relationship between wives and husbands, but there's something that he says that I believe applies to every one of us when it comes to our ability to, to demonstrate the power of this good news, the power of this gospel. In verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, and he's talking specifically to wives. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, 
they may be won over by won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of the of your lives now notice this morning that he's not even though he's he's addressing wives this principle that he's sharing is not only applicable to wives it's applicable to all of us whether you're married whether you're single whether you're young or whether you're you're older it doesn't matter there's this there's this principle of when we when we demonstrate the, 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 the integrity of, our, of, of what we say we believe by our lives, it wins people over. I've told you this before in my testimony. I, I grew up going to church, but my heart was so far from God because for me it was simply about religion, about the appearance of, of being identified with Christ. But when I came across peers who, like I, like I profess, also profess Christ, but yet I saw that there was something different about us. You know, the same values that they had, I didn't share. The same convictions, the same, you know, uh, the determination to now live a life of compromise, I didn't have. And, and, and I saw that and I, and I thought, it makes no sense that we can claim to be the same thing and yet live different lives. And I began to ask the Lord to deal with me and to help me, help my life to align with Him and with His will. And, and, and so in, in choosing to follow Christ, I had to resolve that I was going to begin to live a life of holiness. I was not going to begin to, I was not going to continue in a life of sin. Now again, I'm not saying I'm perfect this morning. I'm not saying that I don't, I've never been tempted or I don't have struggles. But what I am saying to you is, is this. In coming to Christ, we recognize a need to pursue holiness. That, that we are committed to living for Him. That, that when, when the Scripture says we are to live a certain way, we are to act a certain way, that we recognize that even if it is hard as far as our flesh is concerned to do these things, but that we are reliant on the Holy Spirit to help us because this is what God asks us to do. Again, when we live for Him as a witness of, of our relationship with Him, that is what draws people to Him. You know, when you hear people use the word hypocrite, 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 they tend to try to, they like to use that when it comes to Christians. Because there's this assumption that, well, we like to talk, but we're not always the best at actually following our words with actions. And sometimes I feel like the world almost is expecting for Christians to mess up so that they can beat us over the head and say, hey, I thought you said you're a Christian. Aren't you supposed to be perfect? But the reality is, is that Christ never called us to be, to be perfect. That's not the, what the goal is. But the goal is to, is to be so moved by a desire to be so moved by appreciation for what Christ has done for us. And what he's brought us into, this relationship with God that he invites us into, that we want nothing else than to live our lives to, to please him. That we are so grateful for what he's done for us that we, we count it nothing to give up everything for him. And that must be our conviction. So again, it's this idea that we are able to, that, that part of how we win others to Christ is by our lifestyle of obedience. Because again, if we're not walking in step with his will, we're not living in obedience to him, where we are sinning, to the world is a message that we can claim to be followers of Christ, but yet not be obligated or required to live for Him. And that's not the case at all. The Bible makes it clear that if we love Jesus, he, the Lord Himself said it, we will what? Obey. Everybody say obey. Obey. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. He, he, notice He puts no other condition. He says, if you love me, if you truly love me, if you're devoted to me, you will do what I ask you to do. But if you don't love me, it will be evident in your actions. It'll be evident in your behavior. It'll be evident in your values. It'll be evident in your, in your lifestyle. If you don't love me, it'll show. So it doesn't matter what you say. Now, God will desire that what we say lines up with what we, how we live. But it doesn't matter what we simply say if our actions don't bear witness to what we say. So we must pursue a lifestyle of holiness. And here's the last point this morning. We demonstrate the message of reconciliation that Christ calls us to as the church 
by meeting the lost where they are. In verse 20, I want you to hear what Paul says. Paul describes himself as Christ's ambassador. And in essence, he's saying to you and I, we are Christ's ambassador. Now, notice one thing about an an ambassador. When when, when our government, our, our president, or our national leaders appoint someone to be an ambassador, notice that the ambassador doesn't stay at home. An ambassador isn't one who is called to represent their home country, but they do so by staying at home. No. You represent your home country by going to a different nation. And, and the idea is that as an ambassador, you are going to a, 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 a new place, a, a new city, a new nation, but you're representing the country you came from. You're bringing the values that are defined, that, that, that define your country, that the country you came from, and you're bringing those values, you're bringing that way of thinking, that way of, that way of relating, that way of life, and you're bringing it to this, not necessarily that you're coming there to change that environment, at least we're talking about, again, political sphere, but it's this idea that you're coming to represent the interests of your nation. So when we are called to be missional, we're called to go where the lost are. But when we go to where the lost are, we are going representing the one who has called us as his ambassadors. And so in engaging the lost, we are bringing the values of the one who has called us. We're bringing the ways of the one who has called us. We're bringing, we're, we're, we're acting in the interest of the one who has called us. Paul says, you and I are Christ's ambassadors. And it is as if God is himself appealing to the lost, but he chooses to do so through you and I. What a privilege. What a privilege that you and I get to stand in for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that through our lives, through our lips, through our actions, he makes his appeal to the lost through us. And again, it's not that we are perfect or that we have our lives all together, but that God would choose to use us to speak through us so that he can draw others to himself. This is why Paul can say, we implore you on Christ's behalf. So in other words, when you and I leave this place this morning, when we go to our jobs, when we go to our neighborhoods, when we go to our schools, for those that are in school, when we are engaging the world, everywhere we go, no matter who we encounter, we are, we are representing Christ. And so when we speak, when we act, when we relate to others around us, we are doing it on his behalf. That's why what we say is important. That's why how we live is important. That's why how our, our worldview is important because all of it is about representing who Christ is. And I feel like probably one of the greatest illustrations of this, this the, the priority of this mandate that Christ has given us to demonstrate this message of reconciliation to a, a lost world is the story of the, of, the, of the lost sheep. Jesus shares this parable of, 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 of sheep who are, are, are in the company of their shepherd and one of them goes astray. And catch this, the shepherd is willing to leave the 99 sheep to go after that one that's lost. Now, from our perspective, we might say, well, it, it makes no sense to ignore the majority to go after the one that strayed. Let him go suffer. Let him go experience heartache and pain. And, and, and recognize that the, the foolishness of his decision to walk away. I'm going to focus on the 99, but yet God says, Christ shows that God's heart is for each individual. God cares about each individual. See, you see, God, the way God thinks is so different from ours. The, 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 the way God puts, puts value and assigns value to people is so different from the way we assign value to people. God says, I am willing to go to where the lost are. But again, notice that in engaging that lost sheep, it's not that 
that the shepherd goes and basically uh, supports or, or encourages or affirms that lost condition of the sheep. No. The shepherd goes after that sheep to do what? To bring that sheep back. It's not that, it's not that the shepherd goes and finds where the sheep is. And, oh, this is, this is a nice place you chose to come to. You left the 99 to come over here. Let, let, let's stay here. Or, or even worse, bring the other 99 back to... No. What the sheep, shepherd does is he goes to look for that one sheep and he brings the sheep back to where the sheep belong. So what am I saying this morning? God has given us the message of reconciliation so that those around us who are lost, that we develop such a burden for them, that we're so committed to their spiritual walk with the Lord, that we're saying, God, help me. Help me to, 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 to discern how to engage this person. It might be that coworker at your job that, that everybody has given up on. Everybody just feels like this person is a hopeless case. And you're close to also embracing the same mindset where, you know what, let me just do everything I can to avoid interacting with this individual. And yet God is saying, I have put you in that environment for a reason. You're not just there to earn a paycheck. You're not just there to accomplish a, a, a task that your, your superior has given you. You're there for a reason. There are people around you that, that, that God is bringing you in contact with so that, so that you can be that voice through whom he makes the appeal. Because you and I do not know what people are going through on any given day. We, 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 we don't know the, the, the internal struggles and the battles that they're dealing with. And yet, because we're in the right place at the right time, and we discern the opportunity that God has put in front of us to, again, as Paul says, to act on Christ's behalf, that now we're saying, Holy Spirit, lead me. That this person that everybody is resistant to or that everybody is running from, God, draw me to this person. And teach me how to engage this person. And help them to come to know you. That's a missional heart. And that's the heart I believe God wants us to have. God wants us to have a desire for those around us and to reach them. Why? Because we know what it's like to be reached. We know what it's like to be pursued. God went after you and I. And now through us, he's going after others. What a privilege. And I want to encourage you on our way to heaven to recognize that when we talk about the good news and resurrection, that, that it's so much, it encompasses so much more than just what we tend to just want to focus on. Because again, the tendency is to almost always see Christianity as just being about me, what I get, what I embrace, what I experience. And yet God is saying there's so much more. Yes, I love you. And, 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 and I, I, don't, I don't love anyone over you or love you more than anyone else. I love you. I love you. I love you. I care deeply about you. And yet, when, when I saved you, I brought you into a, into a, bigger, into a, bigger, into a, into a bigger, uh, bigger experience where you are connected with others of like mind and like faith who, are, who, are, who know me or walk with me and are being drawn to me. But then to, collectively, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out to a watching world that needs to know that the reality of my love and, and needs, needs the opportunity to embrace my love. This is what Christ is calling every one of us to. And my prayer, you know, throughout the week leading up to today, presenting this message to you has been, God help us as the body of Christ to be so burdened for people around us that we're constantly praying, God, give me an opportunity to, to reach somebody today. God, help me to not just be so quick to get through my day, to get through my, my responsibilities, my tasks, whatever it's in front of me in that given moment, but God, help me to be so focused on, on a seeking opportunities to be able to, to touch somebody's life in a way that will that, that impact them for eternity. The responsibility of sharing the good news falls on all of our shoulders. And I believe that God is calling every one of us. The question that only you can ask is, is will you answer that call? 
So I want to invite every head bowed this morning, every eyes closed. I want to challenge you to, this morning, consider the privilege to represent the Savior of the world to everyone you come in contact with. I want to paint for you a picture of an experience that uh, I read about in, uh, in one of the editions of the Decision Magazine, a young lady by the name of Peggy wrote about a valuable lesson she learned about the importance of sharing the good news of reconciliation with others. Her job as a psychiatric home health nurse frequently brought her in touch with a lot of people who were hurt, angry, searching for answers. And while Peggy knew that Christ was the answer, she couldn't bring herself to talk to others about him. In her words, she writes, I became a master of excuses. That is until she met a particular patient who changed her perspective. This patient's name was Wanda. Wanda is 56 years old. Wanda suffered from chronic depression. Her family had died, some tragically within the span of about 16 years. And these numerous losses, this overwhelming grief, was so stressful that she got to the point where she felt like she couldn't bear it any longer. And so one day, Wanda quit her job, she went home, she pulled the curtains and she refused to leave her house. And eventually she stopped eating. Even the most minor task became very difficult for her. And when observant neighbors noticed the change in her behavior, they themselves arranged for her to be taken to a hospital where she actually was treated in a psychiatric ward and that's how she met, met Peggy. Eventually, Wanda went home. Peggy was assigned to be her home health nurse. Peggy visited Wanda weekly, would spend time with her, would care for her. And over the course of six months, Wanda began to recover. And although Peggy knew that Wanda needed to meet Christ as her savior, Peggy reasoned that at some point in the future, she will go to a church and she will hear about Jesus then. Well, one day Peggy comes to Wanda's house for a regular visit and she's surprised to find the door ajar. She knocks on the door, no answer. She opens and she pushes the door open. She steps inside. Finding no one in the living room, she walks up to Peggy's room, and when she gets to Peggy's room, uh, Wanda's room, she finds Wanda's lifeless body in the bed. Next to Wanda were several empty medication bottles, and in her hand was a handwritten note that was addressed to Peggy. And this is what was written. It read, Dear Peggy, I am so sorry. I tried it your way, but I got tired. Please forgive me. I tried. I just couldn't do it. I got tired. And in that moment, Peggy slid to her knees, and she began to cry out to God. And she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord Jesus, she tried it my way. I gave it the best that I had, but it was my way. I didn't tell her about you. I didn't tell her about your way. And the reality is, is the way that you and I are called to as Christians to testify to is not, again, our way based on our own effort, our own attempts to try to make some good out of our lives, do the best we can with what we have. The way that you and I are called to testify to is the way that is named Jesus. To say to a watching world, to say to a world that is filled with hope, hopelessness, despair, sorrow, sadness, to say to a watching world, Jesus is the way. He is the answer. And if you put your faith and trust in him, he will change your life in ways that you can never imagine. And that, and that we present our lives as that witness, as that, as that, as that proof, as that evidence of the, of the reality of, of the gospel, of the, of, this, of the power of the gospel to change people's lives. God is setting before every one of us, friends, the opportunity to be his witnesses.
Again, you do not know what people around you are going through, what they're dealing with, what they're struggling through. And it may be that in that moment where you discern the Holy Spirit leading you to say something, to, to, to speak a, a word, uh, to encourage, to, to inquire um, of a person what may, they may be going through, that, that the words you speak in the moment may be the words that the Lord will use to draw that person to Him. I want to challenge you this morning. Our calling is to testify to the way, not our way, to the way. And to let others know that Christ is who he says he is and that he can change their lives like only he can. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the privilege that we have. God, when we come into a place like this, it's not so we can just get our fill of yet another church experience, Lord. It's so that we might be equipped, we might be encouraged, empowered, to step out into the world that you've called us to reach for Christ and to be your ambassadors. As Paul said, God, to have you, Father, as it were, making an appeal through us, choose Jesus. He is the way. God, I ask this morning that you will forgive us, Lord, for the many times where we have passed upon opportunities, where we thought to ourselves, not today, God, not now, God. Let somebody else speak into that person's life, God. And God, we do not know, Father, what has become or what may have happened next, Father. But God, I pray that, Lord, you would give us a burden for those around us. That, Lord, those of the world would look at and disqualify or discount or turn away from the God, you would give us a burden for them. That, God, you would help us, Lord, to see beyond what we see on the outside what we see them do, what we see them say, how we see them live, and help us to see beneath. Help us to see a soul that is hurting, a soul that needs to know Christ, a soul that, that, that if, if, if they come to embrace Christ, will experience a transformation in their lives. And we, can, we, we, we know this because you've transformed our own lives. God, give us a burden for those around us. And help us, Lord, to be faithful witnesses of this good news. Help us be faithful witnesses of this good news. To trust the Lord when we are faithful, Father God, you will do your part. It's not our jobs to convince, to convict. It's not our jobs to, as it were, persuade. But Lord, it is our job to simply testify and to trust that you, Holy Spirit, will do the rest. Help us, Father God, to be a missional-minded people who are committed to reaching the with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to ask this morning very quickly, if there's anyone that would say, Pastor John, please pray with me this morning. I don't have a relationship with Christ. I know about him, but I don't know him personally. And the reason I can say that I don't know him personally is because I'm living for self, not living for God. I'm motivated by my appetites and desires, not by a desire to please him, to live for him, to glorify him. And I want that to be different. I want that to change. And I believe that that changes when I surrender my heart to him. And I want to do that right now. Just looking around this room this morning, does anyone that would say, Pastor John, pray with me. I'm ready to surrender my heart to the Lord. I want him to change my life. I cannot continue the way I'm going. I want him to change me. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. I'm looking around the room. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor John, pray with me this morning? Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. 
again, we're grateful for the privilege. The privilege, Father, of knowing that when we call on you, God, you will save. When we, when we cry out to you, God, you will respond. That, God, you won't turn away from us, Lord, but you will save. You, you, you will renew, God, and you will transform. And we invite you to do that today. And not just today, but every single day. Lord, may testimonies come out of this group, Father. In this coming week, Lord, that, Lord, when opportunities were presented for us, Lord, that, God, you gave us the grace and the strength to seize those opportunities and to see people come to faith in Christ. Help us, Father, to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.